We have been going through a series in the book of Genesis, and uh, we we pushed we pressed pause on that study for a while for different reasons. Um, and uh, um, if you remember, myself, my family, we we all had COVID and missed a couple of weeks, and um, then of course we had. Um, Palm Sunday, and then our Good Friday service, and of course Easter Resurrection Sunday, uh, and then there was a special message after that on after Easter, and so um, so we kind of pressed pause on our study of Genesis, but we're getting back in that today, and I hope that you're looking forward to that. I've been announcing that for a while, and uh, a few people this morning said, "Are you, Pastor? Are you sure we're getting back in Genesis?" Because I kept announcing it, it kept getting pushed off, but yes, we are. And uh, I'm excited about that because uh, it's been a while, so I'm going to take a few minutes to kind of do an overview and catch us up on on uh, where we've been in Genesis. It's a very big book. There's 50 chapters in Genesis, the way that's broken down in our Bibles. Um, and uh, there's a lot that happens, but here's the, the, the reason that I chose Genesis and then the title for our sermon series. It's simply called Genesis foundations because the book of genesis sets the foundation for everything else that comes after for all of the other 65 books of the bible are based on what happens in genesis on the things that begin and that are started and what the lord sets in motion sort of the rest of the bible is how it all plays out does that make sense and so so many of us, I know, are wondering, because of the events happening around us these days, is this the end? Is the Lord coming back? Now, we know every generation before us would ask that question and would hope and pray, because the Lord's return is our blessed hope. And we look forward to that. But we know that the timing is in His hands. And He said no one knows the timing except for the Father. And so, We wait patiently for that, but until we do, until He does come back for us, He has work for us to do. We are on a mission from God, and we are continuing Jesus' mission and the mission of the early disciples. But listen, if we look around at events for today, and we're looking through the Scriptures, and we we look at the prophetic books of the Old Testament, we're flipping through Ezekiel, and we're looking at Daniel, and then we're looking at Revelation, and we say, oh my goodness, like, is this what's starting to happen now? If we want to know how everything ends, how God brings His whole plan into culmination, we need to start at the beginning. Did you ever walk into a movie late, maybe halfway through? That's I can't stand that. So every once in a while I'll go to a movie with somebody and I have a relative who I would love to go to the movies with, but he never cared about being on time. And so he would get there late and inside, like especially if he was driving, you know, it would be eating me up like we're going to miss it. I even want to see the coming attractions. Now some of you are thinking, movie theater, what's that? Well, I remember back in the day when we used to go to the movies. Remember that? Hopefully we can do that again soon. Maybe some of you have, but... You don't want to get there late because then you miss sort of all the foundation of the story. And you've missed out the the explanation of the characters and some of their backstory. And so then the ending might not make as much sense. But in many ways, it's the same idea and principle with Scripture. That if we want to know why things in Revelation happen the way they do, or why so much of the, the Bible is prophecy and many of it, 
has not been yet fulfilled, then we need to go back to the beginning of all things and see how God starts the whole ball rolling. So that's why we're looking through the book of Genesis, because we get that sense that God is on the move and doing something, and we see things changing in the world around us, but changing all the more rapidly. Don't you get that sense as well? Do you or or no? You do, right? Almost like it's a little overwhelming. And so we want to be able to go back to the beginning of God's word because that's where we get our truth from. And that is where we understand what's going on around us and within us and how we're processing everything. We have to look at it all through the lens of Scripture. And so we go back and say, God, how did you set the foundation? Now, remember, when you're going to build a house, you're going to build anything, you create a foundation You lay that foundation once. We don't keep building new foundations. You lay the foundation once. So it's like God was building a house and he laid the foundation. And we see it starting in the book of Genesis. So it's called Genesis Foundations. But there is a tagline in our series title after that. And it simply says, the future begins here. Because we all want to know what's going to happen in the future, don't we? We all sort of have this anticipation When is the Lord going to return? And we we see uh, in the news and we see events, we say, is this part of prophetic scripture and what God is doing? Is he beginning to bring things to an end? But the future begins in Genesis. And that's why we're going through the book. And so we are actually right now in chapters 25 through 28. And so in a minute, I'm going to read a portion of that. Some of you got real nervous that I was going to just about to read three chapters from Genesis. I'm just going to read a portion of Genesis 26 as what we're going to highlight. But before we get into that, I want to get us caught up in the story about where we are. So if you remember, Genesis, and I know this is going back a bit when we started. I mentioned that Genesis, when you're reading it, it's helpful to kind of see it in two parts, in two sections. You have Genesis 1 through 11 and then you have the rest of the bible and it's really in two parts the first part of genesis is really based on four main events the second part of genesis the second half let's say is based on four main people now of course there's lots of other events and lots of other people that fill in the details and connect all of the stories but a good way sort of a bird's eye view to look at it is the first part of Genesis is is made up of four main events. That's creation, the fall, the flood, and then the dispersion, which kind of ends with the story of the Tower of Babel, when God dispersed the people. That's sort of the first half, but why? Because the first half of the Bible is the beginning of the human race, okay? So the first part, Genesis 1 to 11, is the beginning of the human race. All right. And so we have creation, fall, flood and dispersion. Then the rest of Genesis, I say half, it's more than half, but the other part of Genesis is not um, the foundation of the human race, but more specifically, the foundation of the Hebrew race. And that is highlighted by four main people. You think about who they might be? Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph, because Joseph kind of closes out the whole story at the end of Genesis. So I hope that kind of gives you, helps you with some perspective, that 
we have Genesis broken into two parts, the beginning of the human race and then the beginning of the Hebrew race. The beginning of the human race is really highlighted by four main events, creation, fall, flood, dispersion. Then the beginning of the foundations of the Hebrew race that we see played out in the rest of the Old Testament is marked by four main characters or people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph. It's a good way to kind of help us keep all of the stories connected. Well, where we left off last time many weeks ago, it brought us up to chapter 24 of Genesis. And we saw the life of Abraham, the call of Abraham. If you remember back then, we looked at the covenant, a really important word, the covenant or the agreement or the promise that God made with Abraham. God called Abraham to be the father of a great nation. And God said that he would bless the whole world through Abraham. And so he called Abraham out, not because of anything good or any particular quality of Abraham, but God did it out of love, out of his own choice, out of his own election, we might say. He chose Abraham. But Abraham had his part to play. He needed to believe and have faith. So today, really, the big word of the day is faith. That we see in Abraham's life, And then Isaac, which we're going to see today in the beginning of Jacob's life today, it's all about faith. That God calls Abraham to have faith in him as God. And Abraham did, and it said it was accredited to him as righteousness. And that's the same for us today. As we have faith in the Lord Jesus and what he accomplished for us on the cross, we have faith, or another way to say it is we believe in that, then his righteousness is accredited to us. And that happens in the moment when we believe. That's the simplicity of the gospel, is that we believe. Over and over again, it's more than 160 times in all of Scripture, it says that salvation is by faith alone. Do you know that? It's by faith alone. And so we're going to see today that theme continue. We saw it with Abraham, but now as we pick up in Genesis 25... Abraham now dies. Abraham dies, and then, of course, the story goes to his son Isaac. Now, he had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. And Ishmael is mentioned very briefly in in this passage in chapter 25. But the promise did not get transferred to Ishmael. It went to Isaac. And so God chose Isaac. Just as we'll see today, he chooses Jacob and not Esau. But what we're going to focus on today, which I'm going to read in in just a minute, is the beginning of chapter 26. And it's this interesting story that I think we can glean a lot from. In in these three jam-packed chapters, 25 to 28, we see a lot happening, and I'm going to review it now. But what I want to focus on is this story of Isaac Digging wells for water. I think that's great application for us today. But before we get to that, let me, um, uh, let me review what happens in these chapters. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll kind of, um, you know, focus in on chapter 26. And that's when I'll read it to you. All right. 
And so, yeah, just a brief overview. So chapter 25 to 28. So in chapter 25, verses 12 to 18, uh, we see that um, very briefly mentioned are the descendants of Ishmael. Okay, God is going to bless Ishmael, but the promise he made to Abraham doesn't pass through Ishmael. It goes through Isaac. So it's just a short mention. And uh, 25, verse 19, starts to mention the generations of Isaac. And so all the focus is now on Isaac because the promise passes through him. And that word promise is important. And um, we see that he and his wife have twins, Jacob and Esau. First, Esau is born, and his name kind of connotates the way he looks. It says that he was red and hairy. Now, I know when you're your parents, you're praying that your baby comes out red and hairy. Am I right? And so it kind of... But he kind of lives up to his name because later on in life, we don't see much of their childhood. All of a sudden, they're kind of young young men, young adults. And, and uh, he's a lover of hunting and, and, uh, and fishing. And he loves to be outside. And he's kind of, you know, got, got like a, a rough, you know, uh, edge to him. And that's Esau. And he was born first. But then Jacob, the other twin, was born second right after him. And it says that he came, that Esau came out, but Jacob was grabbing his heel kind of right after him. But even before they were born, Scripture tells us that that there was contention, that there was arguing and fighting even in the womb. Even in the womb. And so it foreshadows that later on in life that the two peoples or the two nations that come from Jacob and Esau, Jacob would be the Israelites because Jacob's name is changed to Israel. We'll get to that in later studies. And then Esau, the people that the he fathers and the nation after him are the Edomites. If you read throughout the Old Testament, you see the people of the Edomites, that nation, were always a thorn in the side of the Israelites. Always going to war against them. Or if other nations were going to war against Israel, the Edomites would join in and say, let us get in on that because we don't like the Israelites or their father Jacob. And so it all started even in the womb. And so we see that there was something that was brewing. And so they are both born, and then next we see they, they grow up, and, and uh, there's an interesting story where um, they're men, and, um, uh, and what happens is Jacob wants to take uh, the birthright of, to be the inheritor uh, of all that was promised to Isaac. He wants to take it from Esau, because during that time, the tradition in that society and culture was that the firstborn would get all the inheritance. It's kind of like that today in, in, in some ways, right? But God, we know, was blessing Jacob in that way. But Jacob, it seems, was deceptive. And, and he, he saw Esau come in one day. Do you remember the story? And Esau had been out and he was starving and he was hungry. And Jacob was making some stew. And Esau was so hungry. He said, if I don't have some of that stew, I'm going to die. Did you ever get that hungry? <laughs> we say it all the time, right? I'm starving. And so Jacob says, oh, yeah, you want some of this stew? Give me your birthright. And so Esau kind of says something smart. He's like, well, if I'm dead, what good is the birthright, right? So I need to eat something. So he gives his birthright of the inheritance over to Jacob, the younger one, just for a bowl of stew. There's a lot that we could talk about there, but we're not going to focus on it. A very interesting story. And then later on, we see that um, that Isaac, when he's about to die, again, this is kind of a summary of what's going on in these three chapters. Isaac is about to die, and he calls for Esau, 
Who's who's the firstborn, right? The older. And he's about Isaac's about to give the blessing over to Esau. Because Isaac, he's blind and he, he knows he's about to die. And he says, come here, son, I'm going to give you the, the blessing. Go make me a meal. Come back. We'll eat it together and I will bless you because I'm about to die. So that would be highly significant because that would be the official transfer of all the blessings giving to Abraham and then to Isaac. Isaac's going to pass it on to Esau. So their mother, Rebecca, hears about this and and she played favorites see she had a favorite her favorite was jacob now isaac's favorite was esau so they kind of had favorites now i know there's no parents here that have favorite kids right but you were probably all the favorite kid of your parents i'm sure you were i look around and say i know that and so what happens is the mom is like well she really favored jacob and she overheard what was about to happen so she calls jacob and jacob was more I'm not going to say innocent, but he was like a homebody, it said. He loved to, he was, he was a dweller in the tents, it said. He loved to stay at home and, and kind of be near his mom and, and do his own thing. He was very different from Esau. And so the mom calls him over and says, your dad is dying and he's about to give all the inheritance over to your brother Esau. So here's what I want you to do. You, you, uh, I'm going to make a meal. You go out and get some goats, some sheep and, and come back. And he's like, what? And she's like, just, just do it. Just do it. So he does it. It comes back. And what they do is they both deceive Esau and Isaac to get the inheritance. Because what happens is, again, Isaac is blind. He's about to die. And they come back with food. But what happens is Esau is still out hunting and making the meal. But Jacob comes and pretends that he's Esau. He pretends he's Esau. Now Esau had said, remember, he was red, he was hairy. And so the reason that the mom had him, uh, you know, kill the animals was to come back and put the, the, um, the, the skin with the, the hair on it on his arms so that when Jake, when Isaac, who was blind, would reach out, oh, this must be Esau. And of course they sounded alike. And so Isaac says, are you sure? Is this really Esau? And Jacob says, yes, it is. So he gave him the meal. And then he gave him the blessing of the inheritance. And just then Esau walks in. And then there's all kinds of tension. And Esau's like, I'm going to kill him. And so the mom says to Jacob, his favorite, you better run and get out of here for a while. Let him calm down. And so then we see Jacob takes off. And he goes and he gets married. And uh, that's how that story continues. But there's a lot that happens in these chapters. But right in the middle, church, and this is where I'm going to read from now in, in uh, Genesis 26. We see a story not about Jacob and Esau, but it's about Isaac. And Isaac, and this kind of, this happens before, of course, he's too old and is blind, but he needs to take care of his family. And there is a famine in the land. And the wells were drying up. And so Isaac needed to care for his family, see? And so he starts digging some wells, but he, he, he comes into some opposition and to some trouble and some obstacles. You're going to see that play out in the passage that I'm about to read. And so this is Genesis 26. I'm going to read 1 through 25. So all these verses. So follow the story along. Now that you have some perspective and context, all right, this is what's going on. That um, Isaac has been in the land, and he's in the land of the Philistines, and Abimelech is the leader. Now Abimelech is not his name. Abimelech is like a title, like Pharaoh. 
Pharaoh wasn't the guy's name. It was like his title, like king or whatever. So Abimelech is here. Now Abraham, his father, had dealings with an Abimelech also. And if you were to go back and read these chapters, I always encourage you to do that because we can't cover it all on a Sunday. But you're going to see there's a lot of similarities between Isaac and his father Abraham. Do you have similarities between you and your parents? You probably do. Maybe more than, than you want, actually, right? But you have similarities, and so there's a lot of similarities between Isaac and his father Abraham, even the way they do things. But here, Isaac is in the land, and um, he starts digging some wells. But you know what? He begins to prosper. Before he even digs these wells, it says that he becomes a, a rich man, a wealthy man, even too much for the Philistines. So they kind of kick him out of the land. And so, like, you're too much for us here. You have too much influence, too much power, too much control. We don't want you around. So then it's interesting that he begins to dig these wells, and we see what happens because, you know what, church? We have to be digging wells in our life, and I hope that you'll see that. Here's what it says, Genesis 26. Now, there was a famine in the land. Besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. See, there was a famine there in Abraham. Now there's one with Isaac. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to you offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, oh, she's my sister. For he feared to say, my wife, thinking, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebecca, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, she's your wife. How then could you say she's my sister? But Isaac said, because I thought lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham the father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped up after the death of Abraham. Now he gave them the names that his father had given them. 
But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a spring of water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, Hey, that water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also. So he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well. And there they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him that same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you, and I will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. It's an amazing story, and there's just a couple of things I'd like to point out for us. You know, um, oftentimes uh, I'll have a few points of interest in going back into the history and and uh, digging deeper into um, to the scripture, but you know I have one point really for us this morning, church. So instead of waiting till the end of the message to give you our sort of so what moment or the application, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna lay it out to you now. It really comes down to faith. But you know we are to have faith in God and His promises and His provision for us. But all along the way, stepping out in faith, waiting for the Lord's return, you know what we're supposed to be doing? Digging wells. We're supposed to be out there doing what the Lord has called us to do. Now, he was just practically speaking, providing for his family because there was a famine in the land. And so he needed to dig wells for all of his herdsmen, all of his flocks. Remember it said he, he gained so much wealth in all of his family members. He was trying to provide for them, but there was a famine in the land, so he dug wells. There was three, it says in this story at least. And the first one he dug, and then the Philistines came along and had contention, and and, and the people living there said, no, that's our water. And so it didn't say Isaac fought about that. It said he moved on. So he, he, he developed some hard times. He came up against some obstacles, but he moved on. But he didn't give up. And so he went and he dug another well. But then there was contention at that well too. And so he left and he moved on. And then it says he dug a third well, but he said then there was no issues with that one. And so Isaac praised the Lord. You see what happened in a sense, the Philistines kept trying to come against Isaac, the favored one of God. And who do you think is going to win? Whenever God blesses and promises and somebody tries to come against that promise, Who's going to win every time? God is. But what's the lesson there for us, church? God makes promises to us, but he doesn't promise that life will always be easy. And don't believe anybody that tries to tell you that. But what does God promise? He promises that he'll fulfill his promises and that he will always be with us. So at the end of it, on the third well, Isaac, it says he builds an altar He's like, wow, God has blessed. I had faith. And then he did. Now, was Isaac's faith perfect? And we can learn from this as well. No, it was not. Just like his father Abraham. So I don't know if you remember that. Hopefully you kind of caught the connection. But if you remember, there was two times at least we know about where Abraham was going into a foreign land 
And he told his wife, he said, pretend you're my sister. Because you're really beautiful, which is a nice thing to say to your wife, right? But pretend you're my sister because if they find out, they're going to kill me so that they can marry you. And he was afraid of his life, see? He didn't trust, Abraham didn't, didn't have faith all the time. He didn't have faith that God would provide. God said go, and he went, but he kind of took matters into his own hands. Do you ever do that? When you know in Scripture that God's going to care for you and provide in some way, somehow, and at some point, maybe the way that, maybe at the time that, that we're not wanting or in the way that we would desire, but God will provide and protect. And so Abraham made that mistake at least on two occasions, and he lacked in his faith. Why? Because he let his fear overcome his faith. But see, faith, God gives us to overcome fear because we have not been given that spirit of fear. And so we are called in Jesus Christ to be faithful. Now, God also knows that we are not yet perfect until he calls us home. So we are going to falter and fail sometimes in our faith, in the way that we walk in faith. And we see it with Abraham. And praise God, there are no perfect people except Jesus. That we can look at the people from the Old Testament and say, wow, I'm just like that. So here is Isaac, Abraham's son, and don't you know that Isaac follows right in his, follows foot, in his father's footsteps for good and bad? And so they go and uh, they come to the land of Philistines and there's this famine. And uh, they come across, uh, you know, th- this good land. And what does uh, Isaac say? He says to his wife, Rebecca, um, pretend you're my sister. Does the same thing. Following in his father's footsteps. So at first, his faith was weak and it was faulty. He wasn't believing in God. But then we see in the story of the digging of the wells, he evidently had grown and he does put his faith in God and he continues to dig those wells. It really is um, this idea, this contention of faith versus fear. You know, I know we can all relate to this, but throughout life, we experience famine don't we we experience dry seasons in our life we experience time when maybe we get laid off from a job or the relationships in our life just aren't working out and maybe you have some big plans and it just seems like god isn't putting things into order like maybe he has done in the past so we enter into seasons in our lives that are more like the valley than the mountaintop seasons where it's dry. But then there's other seasons in life I know we can all attest to where we are abundantly overflowing with blessings. So whether it's financial blessings or it's blessings of peace or healthy relationships or physical health, we've seen that throughout life. And But we can see it in the life of Abraham and Isaac. Some of the first things we, we learn is that we do all go through seasons But no matter what the season in life, God is still God, and God's promises will always prevail. Can you say amen to that? Here's what I want you to notice. You don't have to turn back to it, but I read Genesis 26, 1 through 25, this story of of, uh, Isaac and and then with um, Abimelech and him digging these wells and continuing on uh, on the mission to provide for his family, and then God blesses. He didn't give up. But at the beginning of this passage, and at the end of this passage, after he digs that third well, and it brings up water, and he builds an altar, at the beginning, God restates his promises. This is what I want you to do, Isaac, because I'm your God. I was the God of your father. 
The promises are yours. Be faithful. And then he goes through this season. He digs the wells. And at the end of this story, God again reiterates his promises and says, don't worry. The next season in life, I'm still with you because I'm the God of your father, Abraham. And I have made promises to him and I will keep my promises. Church, God makes promises to us. I'd like you to um, to turn in your Bibles to two passages from uh, from Scripture. I'm actually going to get mine. I left it up here. The first one I want you to turn to is in Philippians 4. If you can turn, there's just two New Testament passages that I want us to see today. Philippians 4. It's verses 11 through 13. And this is uh, the Apostle Paul writing. This is Philippians 4, 11 to 13. Now, Paul, he can write these words from experience. He says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. For I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, I bet you knew that one. We've heard that verse before. But maybe we forget the verses that come before it. Because the Apostle Paul says, you know what? I have learned. He's, he's trying to encourage this young church in Philippi. And he says, I have learned and take it from me. How to be content in my God and the Lord Jesus when there are seasons of plenty and abundance or seasons of want and seasons of hunger. But he says, I have found a way to be content through it all, and it's because of Jesus. I set my eyes on the Lord Jesus, and he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So our strength doesn't come from how much money we have or how large our household is or how many even how many wells that we have that are producing water our strength comes from the lord why because it's all based on faith so church you might have times in your life and maybe it's one right now where you're digging wells and doing what god has called you to do and you're going about your life digging wells providing for your family and they keep coming up empty or maybe you even come against opposition where somebody or something seems to be creating obstacles, and there's dirt all filled in with a well that you thought was yours and you thought would provide water. You took a chance, you, you dug a well, and nothing, just dirt. But let's learn from Isaac and continue to step out in faith. And let's take a, a lesson from the Apostle Paul who says, you know what, I dig a well and, and there's no water, I'm going to continue on until God calls me to do something else. And then let's turn to Hebrews 13.5. Hebrews 13.5 is also so relevant to us today. I'm going to read this and then bring us to a close. And we're going to close our time by looking at the, the Lord's sacrifice for us because that's what Paul says, that all of our strength comes from Jesus. And so we can uh, rely on him. So we'll take the elements of bread and cup together to remember what Christ did for us. But here's what it says in Hebrews 13, 
verse 5. The writer of Hebrews says, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Even verse 6, So what can we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. So are we living our life trying to please people or God? We are on a mission from God to please Him. There was a time in Isaac's life where he was not faithful, but then a time that he was. A time he started to dig wells. That's like us. We have to do our part and follow the Lord's call in our life. Whatever that well looks like for you, Isaac didn't give up even in the face of opposition. Sometimes that looks like for us broken relationships, um, failed relationships, loss of a job, struggle at work, maybe not finding the opportunities in ministry to share your faith. But let's remember this from the story of Isaac and from these chapters in Scripture. God makes promises and he's going to keep them. God made a promise to Abraham. And so that promise goes through Isaac. And in these chapters, we see the birth of Jacob, Isaac's son. And we see the beginning of Jacob. So as we continue the story next week and after, we're going to see then the life of Jacob, who then becomes Israel and brings us through the rest of Genesis. But we see God making promises. He made a promise to Abraham. He's going to keep that promise. Church, he made promises to us. You know, it says right in the beginning of Ephesians, I think it's Ephesians 1, that we as Christians now in Christ have all of the spiritual blessings from heaven. Do you know that? We have all the spiritual blessings from God. Does it mean we can do anything we want? No, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We are called to pray. Does it mean that we'll get everything we pray for? No, but it says if we pray in the Lord's will, we will. Why? Because His will will be done. We don't always know His will. We pray, God, help us. Holy Spirit, help us to pray in Your will. I always like to pray that. pray, God, this is what I want. I want this person in my life to be healed, and I want them to be healed right now and not suffer anymore. But God, Your will be done. Know my heart, Lord, in my prayer that I want You to do this. And I believe that You can, but will You please? But Your will be done. That's the way Jesus prayed in the garden. You remember that? He said, Father, can you let can you let this cup pass by me? Jesus, in his life and ministry, was digging wells and he was providing for the disciples and he was teaching them and doing the Lord's, his Father's work. But it came to this point, he faced some real opposition, didn't he? And he was in the garden and he said, Father, can you, can you take this struggle away from me? It's too much for me to bear. Can you take this cup from me? He knew what was about to happen. But he said, but not my will. Your will be done. How about the Apostle Paul? You remember, Apostle Paul, it says, had a thorn in his side. And it says three times he pleaded with the risen Savior, Jesus. He said, Jesus, take this thorn away from me because I just want to do even more work for you. I want to be better in my ministry. I want to be the greatest evangelist ever. And how did Jesus respond to his request? Let my grace be sufficient. So he said, no. Jesus allowed Paul to continue in his life with that thorn that was, that was keeping him down, he thought. And Jesus said, just rely on me. Have faith. 
Let my grace be enough for you. We learn that from Abraham, from Isaac, then from Jacob. Throughout all of scriptures, the idea is faith, that we are to have faith in God. Faith meaning trust or believe. We have to trust somebody. We are to trust the God, the creator of the universe, who also created us. We put our faith and trust in him. And we're about to then take these elements together. And why? Because Jesus said we are to do this. You know, um, on that night before he was betrayed, he gathered together with his disciples in that upper room. And he was celebrating the Passover. And it was the last Passover that he was going to to celebrate with his uh, cherished friends, his disciples. And he gathered them together for one last meal. and, And during that meal, he took a loaf of bread and he took a cup. And he created something very symbolic out of it. And he told the church, you are to do this now whenever you get together to remember me and what I'm about to do for you. That's what he said. And that's why we do this. Now he says to do it as often as you get together. Right now we do this once a month. And we do it in remembrance of Jesus. So so what we're going to do is we're going to take a minute to... um, to just reflect, we're going to take a minute to reflect on what Christ has done for us. You're going to hear some some music playing. Just take a couple of minutes in silent reflection between you and the Lord. Now remember that this is something God has commanded for His church to do. This is for believers, those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ for the salvation of their sins and in Jesus alone. And this is what we do. We do it to remember that it cost Jesus everything. For us, it is a free gift that we receive by faith. See, there's that word faith again. But for Jesus, it cost him everything. So let's take just a minute or two of silent reflection, and then I will lead us in the taking of the bread and of the cup.